0: The way to think differently is to act differently and get comfortable with being uncomfortable.
1: Welcome to the Unlearned Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals into actionable strategies you can use to think big, start small, and learn fast, and find your edge with excellence. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearned Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Stephen Lice, Vice President for Customer Technology at American Airlines, the world's largest airline. Now, what struck me immediately when I first met Stephen was his appetite to learn, to read, challenge his thinking and apply new ways of working and leading to create better products, services, but most importantly, culture. He's a technology leader who is intentional about cultivating a servant leadership culture to maximize delivery capability. So in this show, we dive into American Airlines technology transformation, a journey that has taken time, but also been paired with challenges such as COVID. Stephen's been at American for over 25 years, starting in the server rooms and now leading all customer facing technology systems from AA.com to mobile and more. So let's start where he believes is the most important first small step. To succeed in unlearning, relearning, and transforming, how the world's largest airline works.
0: What I've learned over the years, it comes down to the people, right? And so that's why, for me, culture matters. And you'll, you know, if you talk to folks in my organization, I think what you'll hear is that that culture is what I lead with, and I think that's what I found over the years. Even as early on, like the first time I got to be a supervisor back in the late '90s, I stumbled across some leadership articles. I thought, wow, this is interesting. Right, this is kind of aligns with who I am as a person. Out of the values I was raised with. I thought, let me try some of these techniques with my team to see if we can work differently instead of me commanding control. Even though I was one of the engineers and at, at the time still had some of the credibility in the room, I thought, let me try if I can try some of this where I let these folks kind of present the solutions and do the work and I just kind of stay out of the way. And so very early on, early, early in my career, I started doing that. I think it built camaraderie and it built trust. And then things like 9-11 hit. There's, you know, me and a handful of folks on the team. And we're working throughout the night to try to put together a system that the government would accept that would allow us to fly again, you know, passenger checklists and things like that. And so, but I couldn't have done that by myself. And so that's where people matter. And that's where culture matters. I think that's what you have to start with. And that, you know, the journey that we'll talk about here with American Airlines, and what we've done over the past several years is also all about the people. You can't do this without, without trusting those engineers that you've invested in
1: you know, it strikes me like from the moment I met you, there's this trait that I offer. It's like a leading indicator for me, you know, after we'd spent a day with each other. And the first thing you said to me at the end of the day is that if any feedback for you about how you could have done something different or had more impact or, and like you're looking for blind spots. And, you know, I think that's a, a great quality to have in yourself and your team respond to it. I definitely noticed that and like they feel like they can come to you with problems with challenges it's candid it's obvious you've built that camaraderie those relationships with people how did you go about this like what are some of those sort of little things that have helped you sort of develop that quality in yourself
0: yeah i think one of the things is just absorbing knowledge reading books peter drucker right john maxwell Daniel Pink, I think the book Drive was one of those that really helped me. And one of my favorite books and one of the things I've adopted over the past several years was a book by Kim Blanchard called Helping People Win at Work. And it's really just all about helping others win. And so we've kind of adopted that mantra in our organization at, at American, our technology organization, is how do we help each other? If we do that, it really changes people's mindset. And I've had leaders in the organization that maybe have been more command and control in the past. And as we start talking about this concept of helping others win, you can see how it, it, it really changes the way they approach issues and challenges. And it goes back to what Simon Sinek says to right? And that it's, it doesn't have to be a finite game, right? There's, you can have an infinite mindset. And I think flipping it and thinking about helping others win really does get you to this kind of infinite mindset. There's enough credit to go around, but there's always more than enough work for us to do. And we have to do it together. And the worst thing we can do is worry about who gets credit. Right, let's just go, get, let's go do great things together.
1: Love it. So listen, I think for folks who are, you know, probably mightn't be as familiar on the journey you've been at, both yourself, right? You're 25 years working in IT in America, and you've sort of grown up with the company. You've been through 9-11. You've been through this pandemic and responding to all these situations. And, you know, many people mightn't think of airlines as a technology sort of software, especially technology sort of focused company. So Paint a little bit of a picture on some of the the unlearnings you've had to go through both yourself as a leader and maybe some of the things you've recognized in the company
0: through that period. Yeah, I talked a little bit about some of it is letting go and as a leader, not having to be the smartest guy in the room and have all the answers. That's something I've learned. I think as a company, we continue to talk about that. We've talked a lot about over the past several years, for sure, trying to push decision making down to the folks closest to the problem and to see how we can better empower our frontline employees to be able to you know, service the customers. But I think some of the challenges we hear at times is our folks feel constrained by policies. And so we worked really hard to try to listen to our, our frontline employees and really try to, to put them in a situation where they can actually help the customer. It starts with our CEO. He came across a book called Everyone Matters by Barry Waymiller. That really struck him as, hey, That's the kind of company I want to be. That's how I want our folks to talk about us. And so we really adopted this kind of idea of caring for our team members, caring for And we've kind of adopted our why. We did a lot of work with Simon as well. And we adopted our why is caring for others on life's journey. And so by doing that, that's probably the biggest change I've seen over the past several years for the company I joined back in the early 90s. It's kind of our focus away from shareholders and back to our frontline folks and our team members in general. And then ultimately to our customers and trying to do better in that space. You know, we're a large airline, the largest airline in the world. We're going to fall down. We're going to make mistakes at times. But I think we're trying to get better. And I think we're seeing some of that in the way we responded in the pandemic and how our clean commitment that we've done, the things we've done to try to continue to build upon our safety initiatives, things we've done for our customers to be more friendly around waiving change fees and things like that. So I think we're we're getting there. Again, I think it's the same message I've been giving. It goes down to the people. But there's been a thousand different engineering practices. You know, there's object-oriented programming, and then you get into, you know, agile and DevOps and all those things. There's different paradigms that come and help as technology evolves. And those things are good, and you need to embrace those things. And those those help you deliver capability quicker. But end of the day, it still goes down to the culture you build and the trust you build amongst your employees.
1: So it's great to hear right at the top of the house, you've got your CEO sort of setting this tone. But you've also had to do this within your own sort of group. And you've also had to bring your business partners sort of along the way. Share a little bit about some of your experiences about how you sort of started this transformation, really, within your own department and what what were some of the learnings and unlearnings along the way?
0: Yeah, it really got to a point where we had grown IT and grown IT and grown IT to the point where it just really wasn't practical to add any more resources to the problem. And so all we were doing was kind of masking our inefficiencies in the way we delivered software by throwing resources at it. The reality was no one was satisfied. Our team members were fatigued. Our leaders were upset. Our business partners complained about it taking 12 to 18 months to get projects done. And then when we delivered them, it wasn't what they wanted. Classic case study here for for Agile and DevOps and and unlearning and and all those things that you talked about in your book, right? And so we got to a point where we just, we had to do something different. As an airline, we had just come through the merger, our CEO challenged us as a company to be more nimble. And he wasn't talking just about technology, but certainly for us, we took that on as a challenge. Like what can we do to be different, right? So we started attending the DevOps Summit that Gene Kim puts on, that connected us with companies like Target and Capital One. So we went and visited them to talk about their journey, and understand what, what they were doing. We met you, right? You came and spoke to my leaders in January of 19. We had Jez Humble and Ross Clanton come and speak to, uh, we had kind of a mini DevOps summit for American back in February of 19. So we really started to listen and observe and learn from companies that had done this. And then finally, we had enough courage to begin trying some things. In reality, one of the first things we tried was a project that back in 2017, we decided, you know what? This is gonna be a new effort for America this is gonna be value add to our customers. We're gonna go try to do this the new way. We're gonna break all the rules. And we started, and a good 12 months into that project of trying to break all the rules, we were as frustrated with that project as any project we'd (laughs) ever done because we didn't change our thought process, right? We didn't think big and start small. We thought big and asked to do big faster. And you can't do that, right? And so the business was frustrated. IT was frustrated. And finally, it was one of those things where, well, what the heck? Let's try this new approach because nothing else is working. So we had a business partner that was courageous and willing to try this kind of MVP, using MVP and using really leaning hard to agile and DevOps. And they did that. And all of a sudden, after you know, week, 12 months of getting no value within three or four weeks, all of a sudden, a very simple test that we did, experiments we did was the premise of the solution was that certain times as, as we get closer to departure, within a few days, certain flights become more preferable to customers than others. And so we thought, well, what if we proactively contacted customers and said, hey, we think there's a better flight option for you now. Would you like to take this? Of course, you know, the requirement spec for that is go do this for everybody at one. Right. When you release it, it has to release it for everybody. You can't just release it for one, one type of passenger. Well, we threw all of that out because we got to such a bad place with the project. And in doing that, we decided, you know what, what if we just text these customers and said, hey, if you're interested, Call our reservations folks. So, very simple test, right? But what that did was it it allowed us to start understanding which of our customers would actually be interested in changing. It changed some of our premises about who we thought would actually want to use this product and who wouldn't. That saved us a whole bunch of pain down the road by taking 12 or 18 months to deliver the whole solution. So, in doing that, we were able to learn and we were able to pivot. Then, all of a sudden, very quickly, we're adding new capabilities and new features and we're rolling this out for a small subset of customers here. And a small subset of customers there. That starts to build some momentum that all of a sudden, instead of getting eye rolls and stern looks from folks in these big executive meetings about no progress on this project, all of a sudden, people are like, wow, hey, I want some of that. Other teams are saying, hey, how can we work like that? So that really was probably tip of spear for us as far as proving out that these new ways of working would work in an enterprise like American with all of our legacy technology. So we did that. And then that started. Then we, then that business partner, we had some other efforts in their space. So they started to invest and commit to working that way with us in technology. And then it's just now kind of mushroom, right? We got this place now where it's hard to imagine working any way, any other way. Our CEO. So you know, one thing we've we've gone from attending DevOps to this year, Maya Liebman and Ross Clanton, who were able to attract to American because of our story. They did the keynote at DevOps Summit this year. And our CEO, so my boss, Maya Liebman, she interviewed our CEO about delivery trans- what we call delivery transformation. And so he talked about what that meant from his perspective to the airline and the value that it played for us, even in the pandemic recently. We would not have been able to respond the way we, we responded in the pandemic and pivot so quickly to deliver things like contactless kiosks and to, to change the way we the experience our customers online if we hadn't already embraced these new ways of working.
1: Honestly, I just get so inspired listening to this story. It's so profound, right? And the thing that jumped out to me as well as you were describing, like the old paradigm of delivery, the think big, build big, but faster, and how much more pain that was causing rather than the think big, start small. And small delivery, but even these small, simple solutions that allow you to learn. Like the novelty of just sending a text message and testing your demand for your market before you start building anything you know like these ideas they're novel in like in companies like that and yet so many times we hear these pushbacks like that'll hurt the brand or that's not a good enough solution or but we're American we're big we need to have this huge big release we need to look after every single permutation of every type of ticket and every type of route and This notion of taking, like descaling your work to actually innovate, it's so counterintuitive for many large organizations. You know, how did you help your sort of business partners, your brand ambassadors and realize that actually starting small is way, 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 way smaller than people think. It's tiny. Then you grow from there. How did you help them sort of understand that? Because it's the real tough. Very counterintuitive
0: method, but it's the one needed to sort of get these breakthroughs. Yeah, that was certainly one of the largest hurdles we had. And the, and the reality is, you know, the teams, the business folks on the team and the technology folks on the team, they love working this way and they would have always worked this way. The problem was all the management, all the leadership, right? Because they have to, they see the big picture and they've got to get these revenue results, right? Or these cost saving results. And so they need the whole enchilada delivered at once. They can't fathom this kind of incremental delivery. What it really took was one hitting rock bottom with that one project I was talking about, where yeah. that, there was really no other choice. And then all of a sudden we start getting some tangible results of, hey, this is actually working differently. You have value much faster. We went 12 months with no value. And now in a month, we've got all these learnings and all this value. Let's start trying another project. What's the other effort, right? It really took earning some trust with the business partner, but you're going to have to find a business partner that is willing to have that courage. Folks that are stuck in their old ways, it's going to be hard. They'll be skeptical along the way. You need to find somebody that's willing to go along with you on that journey and provide some cover for the team so they can learn because it's not easy. It's going to take fortitude. And so what that early success did for us was allowed us to earn some trust and get some commitment from our business partners and the leadership there to try to begin working differently but then like we couldn't do this overnight when we met you in January of 19 we had just pivoted to a product mindset we had reorganized our my technology organization around products and so we were trying to figure out what does that mean what does it mean to do true devops for a product and so for all of 19 we spent a lot of time working on how we deliver software where is waste in our delivery process and we really you know adopted those metrics out of the Accelerate book by Nicole Forsgren and, and Jess Humble. You know, after Jess spoke at our DevOps, little mini DevOps summit, we adopted those metrics. as These are the things that indicate transformation um, in companies. We bought into what that book preaches. And so we, we adopted those metrics and we began to focus our efforts on rebuilding the way we deliver technology to move the dial on those metrics. And as we started to do that and we improved our deploy, deployment cycle times and our development cycle times, And we reduced our, you know, meantime to repair and we reduced our change failure rate. All of a sudden we started getting cycles back to work on value added um, delivery, right? And then we started, you know, really leaning in heavy into think big, but start small, really trying to deliver the least amount of value possible um, as quickly as possible to learn and also just to give some value back to our customers. And so we started to do that. We spent a lot of 19 making a lot of, it's kind of that whole illustration about the iceberg and all the stuff that's underneath the iceberg. That's what twenty nineteen was for us, right? And that also meant that at times leaders will get frustrated because they weren't seeing enough progress, right? There wasn't enough tangible outward delivery to our customers or team members to where they were like, oh man, should we be doing this? You know, is this a waste? Is this really gonna work? And all along, those of us that were closer to it, we really understood that we were working in different ways and that the teams were getting excited and we were seeing all of this momentum build to where we really felt like coming into 2020, we were gonna really take off right? And we had no idea at this time we were going to be hit with a pandemic early on. But regardless, we would have been seeing the results we're seeing now. We would have been doing it with the other efforts that we had on, as our initial plan. But early on in February, we had to pivot because of the pandemic. And because we had changed the way we worked and the way we focused and the way we broke things into smaller chunks, that's allowed us to pivot quickly and to start attacking the new problems that presented by the pandemic for the airline. And so that's how we really approached it. And now, you know, we're working this. We have some great stories across the board around just folks that uh, places that I didn't even expect in my organization where I would see transformation have embraced transformation and the, thing, the things that they're learning. And it really goes to because the leaders got out of the way. Right. We were able to, to get enough trust and have enough tangible results with these early, early wins that the leaders are saying, okay, as hard as it for me it is for me to let go, I'm gonna let go. And when we do that, the team loves it and they Continually surprise us um, with all of their amazing delivery and the way that they attack these problems. Again,
1: it's just inspiring to hear this stuff. But I, I think it's also really important for people to hear that the systems that are sort of underlying or at play here that are allowing you to, to, like, for leaders to get their hands off the wheel, right? Like when you're building big and going big and trying to be faster, that, they're big chunks of work. They're big bets that nobody wants to let go of those. But I think this capability and mindset and behavior really you've built of thinking big, but starting small means teams are constantly doing small things. And there's opportunities for leaders to see small progress, small steps, small mistakes, and then course correct and grow into these bigger solutions that have like profound impact across your company. Right. And it, you know, you're hearing this about. The first project we did was a start small relative to all the projects we'd want to do at American. And that starts to grow in Mushroom, The leaders who maybe had not understood or had the opportunity to work with teams in these smaller iterative cycles, you know, when they see this capability, they realize, oh, we, we can do little things more frequently. And, and the team actually know what they're doing. And they probably even have more context than me because they're living this thing every day. That's another huge inflection point I often find for leaders where when the system is in place, that gives them confidence to let go, to push more of this authority down into the teams, right? Because they know that they're seeing lots of small things frequently. There's feedback points. There's, you know, engagement points where you're steering. And I think that's really like a lot of leaders find that notion of letting go so hard because they don't have these under the iceberg mechanics and systems that you've obviously spent a lot of time nurturing. Can you share some more of the sort of other, how you help people get there? I think one of the most interesting things about the airline industry is the cycle time for development, like the 12 to 18 month cycles or doing releases once a month. And can you share some of the ways you sort of like, really try to sort of shake up the thinking, uh, you know, going from releases to once a month to re- flipping it or what, share some yeah. of those examples.
0: Yeah, we've got a great example. So A.com, at one point a couple of years ago, we were, we were so proud of ourselves because we could release A.com twice a month. We thought that was amazing, right? And it took about 10 days to actually get the release out, right? And these were big releases, lots of features, You know, we had to put all these switches in because invariably there was something wasn't going to work and we'd have to either roll back or try to roll forward. But, you know, they were just hard to get done. But we were proud of ourselves. We could do it twice a month. Yeah, yeah. And about a year ago, as everybody, like I said, as all the different teams are starting to hear about these folks working in different ways and they're thinking, hey, I want to work that way. I know that would help in in my team if we could work differently. Our A.com release team said, you know what, what if we set this big, hairy, audacious goal to be able to, let me, let me make sure I read it right. It says, when a developer submits a pull request, their code is in production within one hour and every step of the process is automated. they laughed in the room because there have been folks that have been with this release process for you know 15 years or so. And they were like, oh my gosh, that sounds great. That would be awesome. I don't see how we make that happen, right? Well, guess what? They thought big. This was the big thinking, but they started small. And now we're at a point where since August 28th, we've done 119 deployments in .com. We actually have met this North Star that we identified and shot for. We actually can do that. So now a developer can, can check their code in and within an hour, it can be pushed out to .com. We're doing releases during the day. We used to have to do our releases at 2 a.m., right? So we, in case we messed up anything, the world wouldn't know about it. Now what we're pushing releases at three o'clock in the afternoon Dallas time and no one's knowing, no one's feeling the impact, right? So we're just able, we're able to get more and more features out, especially during the pandemic as we were having to pivot so quickly. One of the bloggers started to talk about, Hey, I think American must have some set of elves working here because there's so many features (laughs) being released, right? What a great testament to all the hard work that these folks have put in because just a few years ago, we were slow. It took us a long time to get stuff down. No one like, Oh my gosh here's another long it project and now all of a sudden people are describing us as elves what a great great story and it's so fascinating one of the people that part of this release process said it's like you set your code free it is like a little bit of code and it can just fly away to production sounds like a dream for so many oh, people it's amazing and you know, and, you know we're still learning but
1: yeah and you know even that intent is what really inspires me you know like it's funny one of the healthcare companies i work with i remember First week I was with them on a Thursday night all this food starts arriving on Thursday night and I'm like oh this must be some sort of social activity and they're like oh no we do the releases on Thursdays so you know we have to bring in food cuz people are going to be here till like all hours and people accepted that that was the reality you know and until they started adopting or, or exploring these ideas right and and they do sound crazy when you're in highly regulated high safety impacted Lots of bureaucracy, lots of process steps to get to this moment where you're like releasing, as you say, like hundreds of times over the courses of months where people can't even realize. And it's a journey. I think it's important. I'd love to hear how your mind sort of shifted on that step, because I went back to see the healthcare company two years later, and it actually brought more people into the company. And I was talking about these dinners on Thursday night, and half the people in the room were like, what are you talking about? we're never here on Thursday nights because they release software whenever they want now, you know, and it was so awesome just to like have that sort of, it's such a great encapsulation of how far the team had come. And a lot of people who were there on the Thursday night dinners were like, God, I forgot about that. I forgot we used to do that, you know, and I think there's such powerful moments for the people to recognize that it can be done. So what were some of your, like, just your own as a leader, If you were going to give people advice, sort of take this step, these journey to get there, what were some of your personal reflections along the way?
0: Yeah, again, I'll start with culture. You have to have a culture that's built on trust. You have to have leaders that are courageous and are willing to step up and protect the team, but also have enough humility to stay out of their way, right? You can't be the leader that says, go do it this way. You have to trust that the team's going to figure it out. So that takes humility. It's going to take fortitude because this is not easy. As I said, most of 19, we're doing all of this work and we're seeing it, but we're not seeing a lot of tangible outward benefit. And so there's some, some pressure building about, Hey, is this the right path? So you have to have fortitude. I think that, you know, your concepts in your book, think big, start small. Those unlearned concepts are important. They're vital here. You can't, you can't do this all at once. It's going to take small incremental wins along the way, you know, autonomy and safety within the teams are, Paramount, you have to give them that autonomy. You have to give them that safety. And when you do that, if you stay out of their way and you give them true autonomy and safety, they are going to wow you. The folks in your organization today—they know what needs to be done. They know how to work in this way. If the leadership would just step back and let them do that, they would surprise you. Now, there's going to be some steps. Again, as I said, right? You're going to have to slow down and go faster. There may be some places in, in your delivery pipeline where you need to do things like adopt the tool chain. You need to really lean in heavy on automation to give you some cycles back to go work on more value add backlog items
1: one of the things that really struck me as well is how you built your relationship with your business partners from where it was to where it is today can you share a little bit about because i think finding these courageous leaders people who provide air cover recognize that this isn't going to happen in a minute right it's going to take cycles which means people are trading off between just having, give me more feature. You're sort of, well, I need scaffolding to give you better feature more frequently.
0: So how did you find the steps to make there along the way? To be honest, we first, we tried to start this journey without them. We had attempted thinking, well, you know, it might be too hard to bring them along right now. So why don't we just go do this stuff without them? Well, then they're like, what are you doing? What are you guys working on? Like, you're not working on my stuff. So that became where we were almost working against each other. And so we actually had to acknowledge, hey, you know what? We should have done this differently. We should have brought you along. And they appreciated our honesty and our admitting that we, we had missed up. And they said, you know what? Okay, well, let's, now that you guys want to work with us, let's try to find somewhere we can make this happen. Because honestly, they were under the same pressure, right? They were feeling like they were letting down the rest of the company as well, because they weren't able to deliver what the company needed. And so they're like, okay, we can try something different. Let's try something different. But can we do this together? And so I really think that trust and that transparency... Kind of a shared goal, kind of maybe a shared pressure. <laughs> if we put yeah. the same pressure to get some stuff done, that helped them. And also just really recognizing that the old ways of working just weren't going to cut it. Like there wasn't another set of resources we could add that were going to help us out of this mess. We had to change, change and, and try something different. And then again, it did take some courage from our leadership on the business side to say, hey, you know what? I'm willing to launch this only for single passengers out of Dallas just to learn and see if it's accepted, if it works. That's better than giving no one the benefits. At least the folks flying out of Dallas by themselves would have some value and we get to learn. And so as they started to be willing to accept, you know, a solution that wasn't 100%, that also started to build momentum. And to the point now where there's sometimes we don't even go to the 100% solution because there's not enough justification to finish that effort because we've gotten all the value that we needed out of that, out of that use case or that capability. And there's no reason to go to 100% here. Where in the past, we would have had to go to 100%. And as you talked about earlier, the airline industry is fraught with all kind of complexity. So when you try to finish that last 10 to 15% of scenarios, it'll take you forever. That may take three quarters of the project at times.
1: This, I think, is such an important point, right? Because I think one of the huge learnings, or what I see is just a flip in mindset that really allows companies power ahead is where they stop worrying about trying to solve every single edge case scenario solution and starting smaller and starting to think more outcome-based about what are we trying to shoot for and doing these small things, you realize along the way, sometimes we've actually done enough here. The solutions that we get to are actually good enough, right? Or, or what you, I constantly notice is people take a more sort of probabilistic View towards problems, right? They start thinking about, well, there's 10 different scenarios here, and which is the most likely? What's the safest place for us to start? Where are we seeing the highest amount of change? Should we focus on, you know, maybe in the airline, you're thinking group booking? Should we focus on individual? You know, I see this a huge amount with a lot of the, especially at the moment with, I had Sachel Watson on who runs the digital business for the business banking for Wells Fargo, right? And they've had to respond to the PPP scenario and small business loans. And one of the most admirable behaviors that the team have developed there is they were given a job, you know, service these loans on the back of a napkin on a Friday night from the government. And they had to deliver this, people calling them on Monday looking, right? So, and, you know, one of the, I think, standout behaviors there was, has they Develop this notion of, well, what's the smallest thing that we can do first? And there's so many eventualities that we can't even anticipate now. Like what's the smallest sense that we can get a little slice through all this complexity that we can understand what's the demand for this service? Who are the customers that need it? How can we serve them? What's the smallest steps that we could do? Just like your text messages that you talked about, Setting up simple forms on the site where people could register interest gave them a huge sense of the demand that they were facing and the types of businesses from C-Corps to B-Corps, like all these tough parts, but they learned a huge amount by just putting something simple up there and started gathering the demand and learning what the problems were going to be. It's such a different approach. Then sitting down there and saying, well, we've just got this, we've got to serve small business loans. What's every eventuality that could happen? What's every scenario we got to plan for? Let's think big. Let's build it big. And now everyone just run as fast as he can. It leads to catastrophe. I'm curious, as you sort of see more and more of this, what are some of the new behaviors you continue to see starting to emerge now in America that maybe you you just would have thought this would never happen like a year or two ago? Yeah, that's
0: a great question. And some of the things I'm observing now, as we really pivoted and leaned heavy into this product mindset, and now that our business partners are in the trenches with us, some of our most successful product teams, when you, if you were to go talk to them, you would have a hard time understanding who were the business and who were the IT folks. They are really a unified team. I talk a lot to my teams about your focus is to make your product awesome. We've tried to adopt a lot of the concepts out of you know Marty Kagan's book, Inspired, and how he talks about product management. That's kind of our next evolution is really trying to get better at product management. And but when you see these product teams, um, you will be impressed by the fact that you, you just can't distinguish between IT and business anymore. They advocate for each other. There are meetings I go to where I don't have to say a word because my business partner is talking about all the value that's been added by that product team. The other thing that's been interesting is, as we continue to, to talk about being good stewards of a product, stewards of the business capability that the product needs to deliver, but also financial steward a steward to the technical hygiene of the product and also to the team members themselves. It's interesting now to see that our business partners, as they go to prioritize the backlog, they understand the value of prioritizing technical hygiene as well. So whether it's vulnerability, patching for vulnerabilities, or you know some in the service life type things, or sometimes just you know, making the investment to pivot to cloud or things like that, they are willing to make that investment because they truly see themselves as total stewards of the product and not just the business capabilities that that product's delivering. The other thing we've done, which is another thing you probably don't do at the beginning, but it does help, is we also changed our funding process to fund the product level. Now, the product managers, they see the total cost. It makes it easier for them to say, you know what? I think we've done enough for this feature. Let's go into the next feature because they see the total cost and they feel like it's their money. So I think as you start building this kind of stewardship concept in, the, in how you do product management, it's also helped. It's not going to happen overnight. And certainly we have, you know, we're a large, large company. And so not all of our product teams are there yet, but as they continue to mature, our most mature product teams are working in this way. And it's amazing. Like They're just really kind of like, just get out of here. Tell me what you need to get done, what, what's important to you. We really started focusing on OKRs. So they'll take what we asked them to do and they'll convert those to OKRs. And then we just kind of stay out of their way. And so we have the transparency of the OKRs, as you were talking about earlier. So we know how how they're progressing, you know, if they're making progress. We don't need to be in the day to day. And we just watch the OKRs and we'll have reviews periodically to see how they're performing on the OKRs. And that's where they'll bring issues up and things like that. But beyond that, man, get out of their way. And guess what? That frees up time for us. (laughs) We have time to go (laughs) do other things.
1: I think, again, what you're describing here is a real path that people can plot their way there, right? Like, different steps unlock the next steps in many ways, right? Like, like spending that time at the beginning to actually bring your business partners on the journey with you is what allows you to have these conversations around joint stewardship of products where technologists understand business priorities and, and pressure and business people understand technology hygiene aspects and why, why they're good investments if, and things that they should think about, right? You can't get there if you don't take that path, sort of together, right? And similarly, you you talk about leaders trying to get out of the way and step back, and the way they can do that is by the teams taking direction and turning it into measurable, quantifiable outcomes, be it OKRs, management by objective, whatever your flavor is, and then debating the outcomes that the leaders are looking for, right? Like the, you can't expect every leader to understand why you want a multi-instance. Uh, AWS cloud and, you know, I, no, that's, that's not a language they understand, but everyone can understand business outcomes, customer success criteria, growth of usage of product or features. And everyone can debate those. It's a shared language. And I think that's what I constantly see gives leaders like yourself and others confidence to, in the team, when they really understand what success is and why it matters, they can go and figure out how to get there. If they keep showing you stuff on a high frequency and, and getting you to react to it, here's the next small thing we've done, how it ties to the outcome we're aiming for. What do you think? Do we keep doing this? Do you want us to switch it up? Actually, we've learned something that we, we actually think we've done enough of this feature. We're not seeing great growth. We think we should can it and move on to another. Like, you know, execs dream about these conversations. And I think it's very hard for them to see. The sort of structure and the systems that need to be intentionally put into place, they take time, they take intention and thought. So it's just really in, enjoyable to hear you, you sort of plot that path uh, that you've been on. Looking ahead then, what's the next sort of uh, horizon that you see for the teams and the things you're sort of, these mental leaps from doing two weeks or, uh, releases to like whenever you want, like what are some of the other aspirational Conversations that are starting to emerge.
0: Yeah, I think really for us, we're kind of in year two of how we fund. We still are, are trying to figure out kind of what we call enterprise initiatives and how best to fund those in the context of product. So there's some things to continue to tweak there, continue to become more mature in how we do product management. We've made a lot of progress as we've talked about it in this last, last little bit, but there's still, there's still things we can do there to continue to listen better to our customer our user, whoever, you know, whoever this product is delivering capability for, we're getting better, but there's room for improvement there. So and I think that will better tweak our backlogs and we'll make sure that we're always can say we're working on the next best thing to add value to the product. I think, you know, today we're in a better place, but we're not where we need to be. I think still trying to figure out how we stay committed to being a learning organization and, and keeping cycles for our teams to learn because while we've learned a lot and invested a lot over the past several years, you know, there's going to be more to learn and we have to make sure we keep cycles in place for our team members to continue to learn. And we can never lose sight of the fact that we have to continue to care for them. I mean, a lot of the stuff we've talked about today was done in the midst of a pandemic. So we have a set of folks that are dealing with unprecedented things outside of work, and they're still able to lean in and, and do these great things because this new way of working works right? What we call delivery transformation at American is really all these new ways of working and it it works and it does provide our teams the best opportunity to be successful and for each person to show up every day and be all they can be.
1: So much of this obviously is inspiring, hopefully for, it's definitely for me and other people. What are those little key messages then for you that some of these like real little small tweaks that you've made in your thinking as a leader that you think are important to share with others,
0: especially in leadership roles that you and your peers are holding? Yeah, I think for us, for, or for me, for sure, is how do I reduce the noise for the product team? One of the downsides of us having more time as leaders is we can think up more things for the product teams to do. <laughs> let's go do this. Let's go do that, right? And so one of the things that we're really trying to be respectful of is not to be too prescriptive. And how do we reduce the noise? How do we keep the product teams focused on you know, the OKRs? And as we need them to do new things, how do we introduce that to them and let them figure out how best to weave that into their work. And, you know, how do we keep the message simple for what they should aspire to, right? They need to focus on their customer. Don't lose sight of who their customer is. They need to remember their why. And what, what I talked to them about, as I said earlier, right, is I really asked them, just how do you make your product awesome? And so what I, what I really aspire for my teams and, and what we aspire at American for our, our teams is to really have them feel like they are providing And building awesome products and we want to have a spirit of gratefulness amongst the team right we want our team members to feel grateful and to be grateful for each other and grateful for the opportunities that they're afforded so if we can build awesome products and have grateful team members that's kind of what we're aspiring to right now
1: well i think it's great because it goes right back to sort of the top of a lot of our conversations here about how important the people the camaraderie the building the relationships, the trust in your team members, in your business partners, you know, how you built that up through thousands of small steps and small problems that you've solved together, you know, and that small bits become momentum, become huge movement, like a movement really that you've sort of created here and now and really exciting. So the question then I have is really like, you know, for the future, what are some of the things you're maybe most excited about? Even maybe some of the things you've learned through this pandemic that you think are giving you more ideas about what's possible or even the future of the airline industry. What are some of these things that are percolating around your
0: mind at the moment? One of the other things we're focusing on is how we um, attract talent. And so we're thinking about that. We're we're probably rethinking some of our old paradigms around what that talent should look like. You know, we certainly want to move the dial on diversity and inclusion. Right. So we're thinking about that. We've had some really successful wins this year. We helped sponsor some hackathons at, for Black Enterprise. And so we were able to bring on 15 Black team members right out of college. And so, you know, that's something that's exciting here because we built an environment where people want to work, right? You know, so these are folks that decided to join the airline industry in the midst of a pandemic, right? Because they <laughs> saw something about our culture that yeah. said, hey, you know what? This doesn't seem logical, but wow, I want to work there because they, they're doing something different. And so I think for us, it's trying to understand now that we've done all this hard work and we really changed the culture and changed what it's like to deliver technology at American, what does that mean for the folks we can attract? And then what does it mean when we get more diverse perspectives in here? What does that do for us, right? What, what does that open up for us as to how we attract customers, how we deliver our products differently? So I think that's a big focus for us It's just kind of talent and what we do with talent and certainly on the diversity inclusion side. For us, it's continue to learn about products, like we said. And I think for the airline industry, right, what we want to do is, like I said earlier, is be better connected to our customers and have a, a more direct feedback with our customers and being able to take that feedback and do something with it quickly. So today there's, you know, we have the process and you can fill out forms and talk to us and tell us what went wrong, but we need to shorten the time that we respond to making, to make the policy changes or, cap- you know, technology capabilities or whatever. We need to work on, on shortening the time to respond to improve that experience for our customers. Because we truly want to be our customers' choice airline when they start flying again, and we made some good inroads. Um, and I think there's more things for us to do. And I think from technology and what we do in customer technology in particular, we can certainly do that. Well, I'm very, very
1: excited to see how this story keeps evolving. I love that you you started with we went to see a conference to hear about how we could do this, and here you are, like you know, a few years later, like keynoting these conferences, telling people your journey. So. You know, I'm excited to keep seeing all the progress you're going to make and the different breakthroughs you and the team are going to have. It's been a real pleasure to sort of enjoy and see that happen. So thanks
0: for sharing them on the show. Yeah, thank you, Barry. Thanks for your help back in January of 19, right? You helped kickstart some of this for us, so we certainly appreciate that. And if you don't mind, I'd like to take a quick minute for a shout out to all the team members in this customer technology and all of our business partners, because I get to sit here today and tell their story. They've done amazing work. And like I said, even in the midst of a pandemic. And so just want to tell all of them, I'm proud of them, grateful to get to work with them and looking forward to all the great things they're going to do going forward as I stay out of their way. <laughs> <laughs> great message, Stephen. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, Barry.